welcome, welcome your backup plan tribe to another awesome live show today. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? I have such a story for you guys today. You're, you're going to be blown away. <laughs> Daisy Page from beautiful Texas, United States, has come to us today with those unexpected moments. Can you believe that? It's like a blink in the eye of the eye. You know, your life changes in a split second. It's all those unexpected things that we don't expect in life. And if you are new here, welcome to our show. I'm so happy to have you guys here. Um, uh, if you are new here, my name is Tina again. You have reached Talking Taboo with Tina, brought to you by your backup plan app. We focus on real, raw conversations with our listeners about the guest's journey from a life-changing event in their life. And gosh, Daisy's had a few life-changing events in her life. Um, you know, I'm, I, I'm an emergency preparedness coach. This is what I do. This is what I'm all about. And I'm a best-selling author of In the Blink of an Eye. I'm a financial expert and an app developer of Your Backup Plan app. I'm located here in beautiful Vancouver, BC. And man, oh man, I would just like to welcome each and every one of you guys. You know, you're very, very special to me. You're building my show up. We have over um, three or 4,000 listeners now on our podcast. And I want to be, I'm so very, very grateful for each and every one of you. I'd like to hit, hit by the end of December, 10,000. Uh, listeners. So let's get this party started. I wanted to thank our American and our Canadian listeners because they're always the first uh, on our list uh, ever since the very, very beginning. So thank you. Thank you for listening. And our third biggest group is Germany. Um, unbelievable. It's stuck in and it's been there ever since I started the show. Meine deutsche Freunde sind unserem Podcast willkommen. Wenn Sie Kommentar haben, können Sie gern Fragen stellen. Also, danke für deine Freundschaft. Und danke fürs Hören, meine deutsche Freunde. So, thank you so very much for all of my listeners. They're growing like crazy, each and every one. So, thank you very much. Now, your backup plan app, you know, I just wanted to quickly talk about how important it is to think about your life in putting it together all in one place in case of any unpredictable circumstance. What the heck does that mean, Tina? It means maybe you don't know what you need to put together. Maybe you don't need all of the things that could happen to you. Do I have them all organized? Do I know what I need? Do I have it as a grab and go bag? Do I, is there something that makes it simple for me and my loved ones in case of anything? And that's your backup plan. It's having a backup. And we're going to be launching our first caregivers rescue program um, coming out uh, by the next of next month. I'm so really excited to help out all the caregivers out there and all of those struggling with some sort of sickness or accident 
to help them, guide them through the process as well. So I'm looking forward to what's coming um, this year. So let's get this party started, you guys. I can hardly wait. Let's bring on Daisy Page. Welcome, Daisy. Hi, Tina. Thank you for having me on your show today. It's an honor to be here. I, I, I'm I, so thankful to have you come on the show, Daisy. And Daisy's coming to us from Texas. And uh, I just wanted to read her little kind of her little forward for her introduction. Daisy Page is an author. She's actually, she just told me backstage. She's just finished her second book, but her first book is called Unexpected Moments. And uh, the foreword of the book was actually done by actor Kirk Cameron, if anybody knows who that is out there. Daisy has quite the story. She was sexually, physically, and emotionally abused from a very young child until her adult years. She was married for 11 years to the father of her three children, who was also abusive. Daisy's father was possibly murdered when she was 20, and her mother was killed in an accident when Daisy was just six months old. Her best friend committed suicide after she had kept Daisy from killing herself in 1994. That's so tragic. Daisy has gone through a lot, to say the least, and she couldn't be more proud of her three adult children uh, after all they've been through and what they've witnessed. Now, also, Daisy has now been diagnosed with a rare terminal neurological condition known as MSA, which she was telling me is very similar to Parkinson's. I guess it's kind of in that family, is it, Daisy? It does have Parkinson's symptoms. Yes. Yeah. And I have all of her description box in the below section, has all of her contact information to reach to her. And just before I'm going to ask my first question to Daisy, I just want to get everybody, I bring out my hand and like, share, and subscribe down there. Push on that subscribe button so that you get notified and you help us with the algorithms of YouTube. So thank you, thank you, Daisy, for coming on, you know, from this long introduction that I gave the listeners about your crazy life that you've led. Um, where did it start? Where do you want to start with your story? Well, I would say that I was raised in church my uh, stepmom was the pianist, so she played the piano, and we went to church every Sunday morning and every Sunday night, every Wednesday evening. I was um, a Christian by the, around the age of eight, eight and a half, and I participated in state Bible drills and actually won second place in a Texas state Bible drill. Um, and Texas being huge, you know, having such a, a big state to compete in. <laughs> that was such an honor for me to win second place in the last celebration party for that. And um, uh, about the age of nine, I was over at my grandmother's house and I saw this picture. My grandmother was a lot older, so I had, I had a lot of grandparents. And I thought, 
My grandmother was like a great grandma because I called her grandmother and she was older. Um, there was this picture of this woman on her wall. It was a really big picture. And I just remember I was always really kind of kind of creeped out by this picture because the eyes would follow you, you know, when you would walk. <laughs> oh, one of those. Yes. And so um, one day I asked grandmother, I said, who is that lady in the picture? And she just left the room. And I thought, well, that was strange. And a few moment, a few minutes later, my my dad and my what I thought was my mom pulled up. And my stepmom, she sat on the hood of the car. And my dad came in and he said, sit down, I have to tell you something. He said, Jolie's not your real mom. She didn't give birth to you. That woman in the picture, that's your mother. She was killed in an accident when she was when you were six months old. And I just I couldn't fathom that, you know. Seeing Jolie out uh, on the hood of the car, I took off out the house and went and grabbed her by her legs on the hood of the car and I said, Mama, please go in there and tell them that you're not dead because they're in there telling me you're dead. So she grabbed me by my hand and took me inside and that's when they told me, you know. Jolie's been your mom since you were about 13 months old, but that woman, her name was Karen. She's the woman that gave birth to you. Then it started coming to me. There was a time about six months prior to that, I was in the backseat of the car and we were going home, and I said, was I adopted? You know, I just had this feeling of not belonging. And then that summer, there one of my cousins was over and she was eight months pregnant and her baby was really kicking and her and my mom were talking about it and I asked her I said mom did I kick a lot in your belly and she goes I don't remember you know so, so it's just things like that that didn't add up well not long after I found out that Jolie wasn't my, my real mom I had noticed, I have an older brother, and I had noticed that I had never heard him call her mama. He always called her, hey, hey you. Oh, oh no. Yeah, and I thought, well, that's rude, you know. But um, Hey, you. <laughs> he, he told me, he was, well, first, he, he started molesting me. Uh-oh. And how the much older is he? Five years. Okay. So the first time he did it, my aunt, my dad's sister, she caught him. And she took us downstairs and she prayed about it. And she thought it was just childhood curiosity. So I thought, she didn't tell anybody, so I thought, I'm not supposed to either. And he just kept doing it. And he told me, "You, if you were never born, then... We would not, my mama wouldn't be dead, so that's why I'm mean to you, and I'm going to keep being mean to you, because you, oh, dear. it's because of you that I don't have mom. Well, it's because I was really sick and in the hospital for six weeks prior to her death, and the she um, escorted over oversized loads, you know, and um, she traded places with the lady in the front. And it was hit by another 18-wheeler oil tanker. 
Oh dear. Um, but the day that she died, her and my father were arguing because he had been pressuring her to go back to work and she didn't want to. She wanted to stay at home with me. But they had gotten behind on the bills because I was in the hospital for so long and she wouldn't leave the hospital, you know. Um, and so she left and she said, this is going to be my last day. I can't do it. I'm not staying away from my baby. And she didn't even tell him bye. She just left and that's how things ended. And my dad always said, you know, never leave the house mad, never go to bed mad, and that's why. But he never talked about my mom, I guess, because it was so, so painful for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so sad. When I became, when I turned 14, um, that winter, we, we were snowed in, and we were out of school for two weeks, because, you know, when it snows in Texas, people don't know how to drive. No. So, um, <laughs> when Jolie went to town, I knew she was going to be gone for a while. I snuck out of the house, and I went to my boyfriend at the time, Harry. And um, we were listening to music, and his brother said, hey, come check out Harry's new stereo system. You know, he's got a really, really nice one with equalizer and everything. Of course, in the 80s, that was a big thing, you know. Yeah. So I went back there to check it out, and his brother slipped out of the room, and Harry came in and shut the door. And he, he, uh, he raped me. Um, so after that, I didn't tell anybody once again. Um, another guy worked in a store next to our high school, and his name is Diego, and he asked me out, and I told him no. Well, I was bad. I was a smoker. You know, back then you could buy a pack of cigarettes at the store when you were five years old. So. Yeah, and plus they were probably like a dollar. <laughs> yes. And... As a teenager, that was a cool thing to do back then. So yes. I um, always bought my cigarettes at the store. And he was lacing me and eight other girls with LSD and PCP because we wouldn't go out with him. And so I was having these spells where I would just black out and I don't remember what I would do during them. And my father would tell me, that I wouldn't even know who he was, you know, it was so scary, and they couldn't figure out what was going on. One night, I was on in the marching band, and I played the baritone, and as we did a right face, and I looked behind me, the band looked like an army with weapons chasing me, so I took off running off the football field, running through the parking lot with my baritone, across the street into this lady's house, bushes at her house. And I was hiding from these people. I thought they were chasing me, you know. Yeah. And my, my dad was a police officer. So he got the call. He didn't know it was me, of course. And the <laughs> lady called and said, there's someone in my bushes over here with something shining. Oh, no. And he realized it was me. He knew then, you know, this isn't right. We've got to find out what's going on. So he took me back to the hospital. 
They did a spinal tap that night and they found high levels of LSD and PCP in my system. The doctor said it was a wonder that I wasn't overdosed because, you know, it was such a high level. And my dad had been to another one of the girls' houses and witnessed her having one of these bells, is what we called them. And it was identical to mine, you know. So we started piecing it together and realizing that this guy had asked us all out. He took my pack of cigarettes and held it up to the, um, like took all the cigarettes out of it and held it up to the light. You could see pinholes throughout the pack where he was injecting cigarettes with this. Oh. And they took it to the police lab and it tested for LSD and PCP in the cigarettes. And you know those little individual pieces of gum like the sour green apple and the grape gum? One day he asked me if I wanted a piece of gum, and sour apple was my favorite, so he gave me that. And when I bit into it, I felt my tongue go numb. So that was how I got my first dose. That was a very scary time, especially, you know, not knowing what happened to you. Um, and so when they finally figured it out, they went to go bust Diego, and he pulled a gun on a police officer, so he was shot and killed. And my dad came home that night and he told me about it. And I was just, I don't know, kind of blamed myself because I thought, well, if I didn't smoke, that wouldn't have happened, you know. And the rape, if I wouldn't have snuck out, that wouldn't have happened, you know. So, um, and if you hadn't have been at that house in the bedroom, then that wouldn't have happened. Like, you, yeah. you could make up excuses for just about anything. Really? So I tried to commit suicide. And um, my dad took me to the hospital and they put me in a mental health center for to treat for treatment. So what did and you what was going on in your mind at that time, do you think, Daisy? Do you just do this you? is why, you know, God, why 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 me? I've been trying to, even through, even though I snuck out, even though I smoked, those were like the worst things I had ever done. Other than that, I went to church camp every year. I still was doing Bible devotionals every morning. I kept a Bible journal. I'm like, why me? You know, I, I am a devoted Christian. I want to learn more about you. That's all I've ever wanted. So why am I being punished? Am I cursed with somebody else in my family ahead of me that did they do something bad that I'm still having to pay for? What is really going on? Why, why is life full of pain? You know, that's yeah. what's going on. You just, it just kept on coming to you all the time. It just didn't stop, I guess, right? Right. You just kept piling on, piling on, piling on. And person can only take so much, you know? Especially being fourteen years old, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's so, uh, and your hormones are going all crazy too. So yeah, I um, after I got out of the hospital, I'm I met a really great guy in high school, and um, he was so good to me. He never pursued me or anything, and I thought, you know. He's too good for me. I don't deserve him. So I broke it off with him. Oh, dear. And then this other guy that I had known since I was five years old that was in band, he was, I first started out playing drums, and he was like my tutor. And so his name is Eugene. 
I asked him to study Hawkins dance in 10th grade and he turned me down and said he didn't do those kinds of things so it really broke my heart and embarrassed me I couldn't get away fast enough so my junior well I went back into the hospital I don't know what happened I really don't remember here but I tried to commit suicide again and um did you always have a plan well I tried to OD I slipped my wrist um the this time I slipped my wrist and my my father took me back to the mental health center and I told were them, they nice there oh yes I told them this time that about the right I told them about the molestation and the so they arranged a meeting with my brother and my father. Oh, gosh. And I told first about the rape. And my brother stood up and he said, who was it? I'm going to go and kick his butt. And I was like, why? You did worse. You know, you did it for four and a half years. Why are you going to go after someone when you did worse? And... He's like, oh, no, you just got it mixed up with the rape. It's all in your head. I only did it one time. So he admitted to doing it one time. But he said it was just childhood curiosity because that's what he had heard. So he, my therapist told him to leave the room, and she talked to my dad. She said, he really did this. You know, she's not going to make this up. She's been hurting for so long because of all of this. And for years of abuse. Um, but my dad didn't believe me. Oh, dear. Because That's common, know, though. Yeah. It's embarrassment to the family. Shame. And it's his son. He wouldn't want to believe that he could hurt his daughter or his, his sister, for that yeah. matter, in that way. So that brought a real big gap in my father and my relationship yes and I wanted out of that house so bad so my junior summer I ended up pregnant with my oldest child after the baby was born I moved out moved in with the father of the baby and his family and how old were you Daisy 17 okay and um, I I still graduated school. I made that a goal because my dad said, oh, you're not going to graduate now. You have a baby. And I was going to prove him wrong, you know, because he didn't believe me the first time, you know, about my brother. So I was going to make him show him. Yeah. I, yeah. Even though I have a baby, I'm still, I can I'll graduate. show you. <laughs> so come my graduation, we weren't even talking. So. Was he upset that you were pregnant? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was it um, hard for you to tell him? Well, I found out that I had morning sickness so bad, and it was like three days in a row. I could not hold anything down, so my stepmom sent me to the hospital. Then my father, you know, he was a police officer, so he was on duty that night. He stopped by the hospital, and when we got home, he pulled up behind us, and she said, you're going to tell him. I'm not going to tell him. You are. 
So I should have gave him a chance to take off his gun holster, but I didn't. <laughs> so he was so mad. He just took it off and he slung it across the room. I was oh, like, dear. oh my gosh, it's going to go off, you know. <laughs> it scared me to death. He was very strict and he was, he was kind of abusive too. And I was afraid to tell because he was, you know, such a well-known person in the community. Community, Because yeah. not only was he a police officer, he was a fireman. He was an EMT. And we did start talking again, though. Um, and then he was running in an election, and he uncovered a lot of corrupt things that the previous mayor of over 20 years had been doing in the city. So he began getting threatening phone calls, and he told me about it. And one day he had a t my husband was actually in prison for uh, violating parole that he got on when he was right before I had the baby. So before we really got together, because when I was pregnant, he didn't have anything to do with me uh, until the baby was born. That Why was do you think that is, Daisy? Being a teenager, you know, just crying. he didn't want to take responsibility. No, his mom actually got gave us money for doctor bills, but we thought it was coming from him, you know. So we thought he was just doing right by at least trying to pay, you know, part of bills. But, but it was his mom. It was his mom. But after the baby was born, he was at the hospital, and he didn't leave the hospital for two days. He he never left the baby's side he always was asking can she come spend the night or you know this or that he was he was trying to be a good father and to the kids he really was a good father but he got threatening phone calls my dad did and one night it was four o'clock in the morning and the phone kept ringing I got up and answered it. it was, I was living with my father-in-law and my sister-in-law, which my sister-in-law was my best friend. And it was my best, it was my sister-in-law's best friend on the phone. And she was like, has your Aunt Vicky gotten there yet? And I was like, why would Aunt Vicky be coming over here? And she said, um, your dad's been in an accident. That's all she would say. So, I about that time there was a knock on the door I was like I gotta go and I opened the door and I was saying Vicky and I'm like what happened to my dad and she's like how do you know and I'm like Kelly Autumn's friend told me that he was in an accident she said well I need you to go get dressed we need to go to the hospital so I got Autumn my, my sister-in-law up and I told her to get in the bed with my daughter Lacey and and Vicky wouldn't tell me anything she said You'll find out when we get to the hospital what's going on. Well, when we got to the hospital, there was a hearse backed up to the emergency room doors. When I walked in, there was pre there was preachers from my childhood. There was preachers from when I was growing up. You know, there were so many preachers in the hallway and so much family. So I knew instantly this is good. He died, and I saw my brother. Even though I didn't have anything to do with my brother. I ran to him and I grabbed him. I got on my knees and I grabbed him by his legs. I said, Please tell me he's not gone too. God's already taken mom. He can't take daddy too. He said, Yeah, he's gone. So 
I'm pregnant. I will end up going into premature labor. Oh, dear. Um, they didn't have the needs there, though, to treat premature labor. So they were trying to arrange me to go to another hospital. Everybody left the room. When they did, the baby's heartbeat had been dropping so low. But when they left, I got this peaceful feeling come over me. And the baby's heartbeat slowly started going up, and I just stopped crying. And my, my real mom's brother and his wife were at the hospital. And so they asked if they could drive me to the other hospital, and the doctor said yes. So they, they took me there. And they stopped the labor. And how so, old were you, Daisy? 20. 20, and this is your second? Okay. Yeah. And we ended up having one more of son. Um, but you but, kept that one uh, until it was Yeah, she, they, I ended up getting out. Oh, that's where I need to go back to them. Because he stayed in prison. I had the baby in August, and he stayed in prison until the end of October. Um, and I was still living with my sister-in-law and my father-in-law. And the baby had caught really bad. Lacey was three and a half at this time, and Lana was the baby. And I got Autumn, and I said, I can't do this. I can't take it anymore. Of course, I'm having postpartum, you know, and so I'm really depressed. I'm like, oh, I had a baby with colic. I know all about it. <laughs> and if, said, if, if you're not crazy, you are after. <laughs> And along with that, I had to deal with my father's death on my own. My husband's in prison. And what was he in prison for? Um, when he was a teenager, he well, he was 18. He had gotten into trouble for, um, I think it was marijuana and some paraphernalia. Got put on probation and he, he wasn't reporting, so they revoked his probation and he had to go to jail for the remainder of the time. Um, and actually when he went to jail, um, that was a year before my dad died. Or no, that was supper time. He, I was pregnant with twins. And I lost your, him. Your third one. Time. It would have been your third? No, before Lana. Oh, before the second? You were? Yeah. And my dad was still alive then, but I lost the twins at six months pregnant. That's why I was wow. really scared when I went in labor with Lana at six months pregnant that I was going to lose her too. But the daughter told me I couldn't even go to his funeral because I was going to be too stressed. I said, I'm not missing my father's funeral. So he gave me a pill that's take. He said, you take this before the funeral to keep you calm. And um, afterwards, though, I, with the baby being colicky and having a three-and-a-half-year-old, my f father dead, I'm receiving threatening phone calls because I'm trying to figure out what happened to my dad. Mm -hmm. And my husband in jail... I just told Autumn, my best friend, I said, I can't take this anymore. I just, I can't do it. I, I, I just want to die. She said, listen, 
You're trying to create a permanent solution to a temporary problem. She's like, I will watch the girls. You get out of the house for a little while. Go see some friends. Just go for a drive. Just get some alone time in. And so, indeed, I just went for a drive. I didn't have my radio on. I was just thinking, you know. And I had to pull over because I started crying really bad and hard. My radio comes on and the song Daddy's Hands is played. Oh. And after that, I calmed down because I knew that Daddy was with me. He was going to make sure everything worked out okay, you know. So just calm down. Dean, my husband, he got out of jail and um, we ended up, we had another childless son. And when he was five years old, you know, I was being abused all that time afterwards when Dean got out of jail. When he came out of jail? Did he have like PTSD or something from that? Maybe. He was later diagnosed with bipolar after um, we divorced. But during those times, that boyfriend that I had in school that was really good to me, I felt like I didn't deserve. His name was Wes, and I would get on my knees and I would pray, God, forgive me for thinking he, I wasn't good enough and didn't deserve him. I wish you would just bring Wes back into my life, you know. And I'm sorry, I should have chose Wes. He even called me when I was six months pregnant with the first child before he went in the Army and asked me to, to get together with him and that he would take the baby in his own. And I said, no, I've got to try to give the father of the baby a chance, you know. So I did not, I did not. But this time, God brought Wes back. And Wes came, and he helped me move my children out. And we moved into a three-bedroom apartment. Six weeks, Wes stayed around and helped me out with the kids and Help me get them used to being in the home without their dad. I came home one day and he was gone. No, no, nothing. And I prayed, you know, God, you brought him back. Why did you take him away? And I felt that God told me, Daisy, he served his purpose. He came back and he got you out of a bad situation that you otherwise would not leave and you would have died in because you had been beaten so many times and have received so many concussions, you know, one of them could be lead, could lead to death. I had had three layers of stitches one time on my face. You know, he was just so abusive and my children, he would do it in front of them. Not He wasn't abusive to them, but just to me in front of them. What was he doing? Like, was he just flying in anger all the time? Like, what would it spur yes. off? Well, I found that he had been cheating on me, and so I, you know, brought that up to him. And one day he comes home and he has this bicycle, and I felt like he had stolen it. I'm like, where did you get it? And he would never answer me. So we had gotten into a little argument. He was leaving, and I, I popped my head out the door. I said, where are you going to see your girlfriend on a stolen bicycle? And I closed <laughs> the door. 
and he came back in the house and I had really long hair and so he grabbed me by my hair and he shoved me down onto the little linoleum floor when he did I landed on my face like this and um, when I popped my head up there was blood on the refrigerator and all over the floor I mean just a horrible amount of blood it looks like a were, terrible scene manslaughter is what has really been manslaughter yeah and the kids were just in the living room next to the kitchen so they saw that you know and I ran to the bathroom and I locked the door and when I looked in the mirror it looked like my eye was gone because the hat was just hanging down you know and I put a towel on me and I just held it on me and he said let me in knocked on the door and I said no you hurt me you hurt me really bad he said I know and I'm sorry let me in so I let him in he said let me see and I showed him, so we got to go to the hospital. Are you going to tell them what I did? Well, I always covered for him. I always made excuses. So I said I tripped over the threshold of brain groceries and slipped on him head on the little nolan floor. So Tasha had to give me three layers of stitches, about 80 stitches total. Oh, dear. And anyway, so after I moved in, the I don't apartment. know, Daisy. They need to make a movie about your story. Honestly, I don't want to laugh, but it it just it doesn't get any better. No, I don't know what you. After I, I divorced my husband, I decided I needed to change for the kids, so I joined the army. What gave you the nerve to finally leave him? It's a very hard thing to do. Wes. Oh, okay. That's when he came in and did it for you. Okay. Yeah. So then you joined the army because you were by yourself. Yeah, and I thought I can't. You know, I can't afford to pay bills on eight dollars and fifty cents an hour and raise three kids. There's just no way I can do all that. So I'm like, I'm gonna join the army. I'm gonna make a difference, make a life for me, the kids, see the world, things like that. But I hurt my knee in basic training, and so oh. that didn't work out. I'd have surgery, and in physical therapy, I, I ended up talking to this guy from upstate New York, and we talked about Christianity and spirituality, and we had a lot in common and a lot to talk about. And he told me he lived in upstate New York, and he had hurt his neck, and so he was getting out of the Army, too. Um, he had already been in a couple of years. So. After I gave him my phone number, my contact info, and I went back home to live with another friend. And when he got out, he got he gave me a call, and I thought, well, I'm gonna come up to state New York and just visit because I want, always wanted to just see up there, anyways. And I went for two weeks. We were just friends, still, you know, went to church with him, stuff like that. And the night before I left, he goes, you know, I feel there's something really special here. I think God set you in my path and that we're meant to be. And maybe you're meant to be moving up here to get away from all that you've been through down there. And I agreed with him. And I, I thought he's Because really you wanted great. to move away from it, too. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So... We went back to Texas and got my kids and everything and moved up there. And for four and a half years, 
everything was great. It was just wonderful. He was so peaceful, so laid back. Then one night, we got into it about our dogs. And it was like a switch went off, and he became this different person. He hit me over the head with a ceramic bowl, a big ceramic, like, decorative bowl. Mm -hmm. And busted my head open. And I kept trying to go unconscious, but my daughter called 911 and my best friend that I met up there. And I fought unconsciousness until I saw my best friend get there. When I saw her, I just blacked out because I knew my kids were gonna be okay. I didn't wake up for two nights. Oh, when dear. I woke up, I was in the hospital and I learned that I had a fractured skull and that I was leaking cerebellum fluid from my brain and that I almost didn't make it. Wow. So I got What out. did you hit yourself on, do you think? Do you know? Just that dish that he hit me oh, with. Oh, just the dish was enough. Oh, my goodness me. And even my downstairs neighbors heard something break, well, it broke over my head. Oh, like a piece of cement, like. Yeah, and my yeah. best friend said the doctor, she was in there while the doctor was um, digging ceramic out of my head. And he's, no, he could see the chipped skull. And um, while he was touching me up and he irrigating it, you know, trying to get all the ceramic out. And he said, he tried to kill her. Nobody would hit anybody over the head this hard and chip the skull and, and crack it without mm -hmm. trying to kill someone. So he went to jail, but his mom got him out that night. Oh. And when I got out of the hospital almost a month later, um, my children were with our preacher and his family, so I knew that they were in good hands. But I had to stay up there for like two more months after I got out of the hospital. I was constantly watching over my shoulder for him. You know, and I, I developed PTSD. And um, anyway, finally, the church flew my two younger children home before Thanksgiving. This happened in October. They flew my children home for Thanksgiving. And it was um, probably the first part or the second week of December that we finally got to to go home, the victims advocates had got someone from Texas and flew them up there. Oh. So they could drive the U-Haul, pulling the trailer in my car back. Oh, wasn't that nice? And Eugene, the guy that I asked to the 10th grade Sadie Hawkins dance, and I know since I was five years old, he came and helped me unload my U-Haul. And we just got to talk in my memo. I stayed with her. I moved in with her. She kept inviting him over for dinner. <laughs> she, she really liked him. She's like, you need to go out with him. I'm like, Mimo, I just got out of this really bad relationship. And I don't, I'm not ready for that. So we stayed friends for a while. And one night he asked me to come over to his house and watch a movie with him. So I did. And after the movie, he walked me out. Oh, let me back up. In 2000, that that fractured school happened in 2007, but in 2000, um, I had an anonymous donor donate two bicycles and several gifts for my children for Christmas because I couldn't afford Christmas for them. And Eugene was in town because he lived out of town. He 
he came over to visit me and he helped me put the Christmas stuff together. We went to the grocery store and his mom said, she was in line in front of us and she said to the cashier, she said, don't they make a cute couple? And I said, Trish, we're not a couple. And she said, but one of these days, mama knows best you two are going to be. So we went, when I went to watch the movie at his house that night, when it was over, he walked me to my car, and we just mutually kissed. So he did ask me out in 2000, but I turned him down, and I said, I asked you to do that Sadie Hawkins dance, and you told me no. So you had your chance, 2000. And then 2007, it was kind of a mutual thing, you know. So when we did end up, end up together, and he told his mother, she was so happy. And when I saw her, she said, what did I tell you? He's never been married. He doesn't have any kids. He's been waiting for you all these years. Holy moly. And he told me, he said, I've always loved you. So he's been my rock for these past 12 years. That's that's so beautiful. Finally. Finally. Oh, that. my goodness. Wow. Why did you have to learn these lessons? Right. We moved away, we moved to South Texas. I can never leave Texas, leave my hometown for more than four and a half years and some sort of tragedy or trauma brings me back. Yeah. But we moved to South Texas and we were there for four and a half years and then Hurricane Harvey came and destroyed our home. So we moved back home. And um, then last year I was diagnosed with that rare terminal neurological disorder, MSI. And... He had to quit working last September, and he's been taking care of me 100%. You know, he has to give me baths. He has to tell me to the bathroom. He has to put me in the bed, take me out of the bed. I'm in a hospital bed now in the living room. He sleeps on the couch. He doesn't even want me to ring a bell or anything, you know, for Aww. him to come. And he says he won't leave my side. Um it's hard to get him out. That's why I have a daughter here four days a week. So just to get him to him relieve his duties. <laughs> when I first found okay. out, I had him. I say, I was sleep on the couch, you know, during the day, and he would lay on the floor on a pallet right next to the couch. He wouldn't leave my side. He was so afraid to leave my side. So I know God put it in my life for a purpose in the time it was not right back in the 10th grade and back in 2000, you know. I think it was right then, too. <laughs> it it should have been right it then. Been. But I had to go through these things to make me strong enough to be able to handle this disease because it is so painful, both emotionally and physically. Well, it drains on you, right? Yeah, it uh, does. So how is it, tell everyone, how is it similar to Parkinson's, Daisy? Well, there's two types, actually. There's MSAP, which is MSA Parkinsonism. And then there's MSAC, which is MSA cerebellar, which is, you know, cerebellar part of your brain. Um, I have P, of course. What it does for P is you have those Parkinson's symptoms that are rigid muscles, difficulty bending your arms and your legs, um, slow movement, which is known as bradykinesia, 
um, tremors. Rare. Which is the Parkinson's part, I guess, right? Yeah. I mean, that's rare. I had the shakes. My husband would take me to the doctor. He would be like, why are you shaking so bad? Look at that lady. She's probably 90 years old. She's not even shaking like you. I'm like, I don't know. I can't. I can't control it. No. Is that what your first sign was then? Was the shaking part? That and um, lack of coordination. I kept falling. I, I just couldn't. Yeah, when mouth. you get up or when you're walking? Walking, getting up, you know. When I'm going to sit down, I would just fall down. In the Your seat. balance was off. It was really off, yeah. Um, I fell a few times. I hit the back of my head on a counter and had to get staples in it. So. Your poor head has been through hell and back. I know. Had so many concussions, fractures, stitches. Yeah, but um, so yeah, that was my first symptom, and then the diagnosis with Parkinson's. Parkinson's for two years, I thought that's what it was. Mm -hmm. But then they kept running tests on me that Parkinson's should show up and give me medication that should help Parkinson's, and it didn't. So they, the doctor was stumped. He was like, I don't know what else to do. So he referred me to a specialist, a neuro, it's called a movement disorder specialist. The first visit, I was with him for two hours. He said, this is not Parkinson's. This is MSA. And I was like, can you fix me? He, was, he said, no, there's unfortunately no cure for this. said, um, what happens is that it's a rare degenerative neurological disorder that affects your body's involuntary or your autonomic symptoms, systems, functions including your circulatory system or your blood pressure. And there's times if they had me test my blood pressure standing up, it'll be like 58 over 60. What? And I've passed out because my blood pressure has been so low before. And then... Do they say what it's from? Like, does it... Could it have been from your head injury created? They really don't know. They're kind of thinking that it can be caused from multiple head injuries, but some people that get it don't have multiple head injuries, so that kind of knocks that out, you know. So they're just, there's an organization that's studying it, doing research on it, and trying to find out why and how to cure it, you know. Mm -hmm. But, um, and so not only your blood pressure, but your breathing, your bladder, um, function and your digestive system, anything that you don't have to think about doing, you know, those mm -hmm. things start shutting down from your brain. So I'm already um, at the point where um, the cerebellar type, they have um, slurred or low volume speech and visual disturbances and difficulty swallowing. And towards the end, you start getting symptoms of both P and C. So I'm starting to get some of the A few C. of the other ones. Mm -hmm. And then there's only a life expectancy of five to seven years. And altogether, I've probably started having symptoms about four and a half years ago. Um, well, maybe they'll have some sort of miraculous 
pill or something. I will tell you, I had a dream one night. I don't remember this, but I woke up in the hallway floor. And I can't even get out of bed by myself. But my husband said I got out of bed and I ran. And I fell in the hallway floor. And I told my doctor about it. But one of the um, another symptoms is uh, REM sleep disorder, where you act out in your sleep. He said, I, in my dream, I was dreaming I was working for the police and I was like a <laughs> undercover officer or something. And I was going after this girl and I, I was running after her. So I was doing it in my sleep and I, I literally ran. My husband said, I haven't seen you get up that fast and you're running. And I asked my doctor about it. And he said, it's like um, and a mom gets in a car wreck or whatever and can lift the car off a child or something like that, you know, adrenaline. Mm -hmm. I said, well, maybe they need to create an adrenaline pill to, yeah, to cure it. Exactly. It's, so there is a clinical trial right now that's going on, but it's nowhere near my home. And, um, it is something to do with your adrenaline gland. Oh. So I'm like, see, I was on to something. You are. See, and you've said it now, so maybe other people can figure that one out. But I mean, God's told me that I don't have much time here on earth. And I believe him because I've had dreams of heaven. So I'm writing my second book. And... I believe that I'm here to inspire others to know they're not alone. That God is always with you. It may seem like it, but he doesn't put you through more than you can handle. Even though you wonder sometimes. That's right. But he's always there to pull you out of your quicksand or your unexpected moments. You know, and just like the cover of my book. Yeah, show um, everyone. Oops. There we so, go. I've got it's called Unexpected Moments. I've got barricades and my windy roads, you know, here. And then the Rocky Mountains that I've had to go over. And then over here, I don't know if you can see it. Whoops. It's backwards to me, so. Yeah. There's a broken bridge right here. Okay. That goes up the mountain. I've gone over broken bridges and now I'm making my way up here to the cross where God is and Jesus is for eternal life. Well, that's a cool picture. The forward by Kirk Cameron here on the cover too. Yeah. My well, daughter painted this. No way. Her, yes, I told her what I wanted. And she's an artist, so she... She, she definitely that. is. That's beautiful. Um, and she'll be doing the cover for my next book, too. At first, I felt I wasn't going to be here until Christmas. You know, but now I feel that there's a little more work that God wants me to do, and I'm going to be here till probably around the first of the year. Well, let's <laughs> hope you have a lot more time here so you can write some more books, Daisy. Well, you know what, Tina? I'm at peace with it. I made peace. I forgave all those people that harmed me. And um, I know you have to forgive in order to be forgiven. I yes. put it in God's hands. 
And he does say, vengeance is his. He's going to take care of it. Justice will be served. That's absolutely right. That. And I'm at peace. I know my children, they've all done well for themselves. I can be happier or more proud of them. And they're going to, even though their father's passed away now, they still have Eugene. He's raised the, the youngest two since they were 12 and 13. So he did the, the teenage years with me. <laughs> they're going to be fine. They're going to have yes. each other. Yes. And they're going to know that mom's not going to be in any more pain. And she's going to have everlasting life up there in heaven. Thank God. And to come back and do some more wonderful things, I'm sure. That's true. I believe that when you're in heaven, you don't miss people here on ours because you can come down and visit them anytime you want to. Yes. That's right. Absolutely right. What, um, I just wanted to take a quick minute and just tell everybody that you found it important to get your stuff and organized and in order. I did want to mention that. Um, and I'm so proud of you, Daisy, to, to do that. Yeah, I've got my advanced directive done. I've got a DNR, so I don't want to be resuscitated or have any artificial life. I've got my power of attorney. I've signed my rights of my book over to my husband. And I've got my assets, everything I own, assigned out to who they go to, so that way there's no arguing. I've even planned, I'm donating my brain to science and being oh. cremated. I've even gone as far as to create my celebration of life. Oh, that's nice. So that they don't have to plan that. You know, I've, I've gotten somebody that I want to be the minister there with the songs I want played. And me and my daughter have been going through pictures, so I know it's hard for her to have to do that, but it's something that needs to be done. You know? Yes. And plus, it's you're doing it together. Yes. And that way she'll know that that's what I wanted to. Well, I said I wasn't going to cry. <laughs> I always say that too, and I still do. Oh, jeez. If you don't mind, though, I would love to read Kurt Cameron's forward. Yes, please. It means so much to me. So get your tissue again. A, keep going. I'm get, just going to grab a Kleenex. <laughs> I just was supposed to say, get your tissue ready, because this is very touching. Okay. St go ahead. He says, it was an autumn night in Texas when I first met Daisy. She came up in a wheelchair next to me at the campfire. Her smile was bright. She shared her journey with me and told me she did not have much time left on earth. I told her to write down her story and I would do anything I could to help her share her story with the world. I only spoke with her briefly that night, but her attitude and resilient spirit inspired me. I hope this book of an individual's incredible journey through emotional, physical, and spiritual pain and coming through the other side of tragedy, still praising the Lord, 
will encourage you in your present situation. Daisy's message will bring you comfort and remind you that you are not alone in your struggles or life circumstances. I pray her words bring you hope. There is one who knows the plans he has for you, plans to give you hope and a future. Jeremiah 29 11, Kirk Cameron. Oh, isn't that beautiful? I'm just like, I inspire him. <laughs> but he inspired me to write this book. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. I would never have done it if it weren't for him. That's amazing. And we have your description of your link for the book and, and everything. It's down below. What kind of final message, even though I don't want to leave you, Daisy, uh, what kind of final message would you like to give the listeners? Don't take life for granted. Even the simple things. Basic daily tasks, you know, like brushing your hair, bathing yourself, washing your hair, just simple things like that. Sitting Don't, down. Yes. Walking. Wiping your bum. <laughs> yes. I mean, I, before this, I was so active. I walked 11 flights of stairs and three times a day. I walked to the beach and went to the beach to do a book signing back in May. And I couldn't even walk on the beach. It was so depressing. And I used to go to my, my nieces and nephews used to come to visit me when we lived on the beach. And I used to, you know, get in the water, go boogie board. And I loved things like that. And I can't do those things anymore. So don't take life for granted. And listen for signs and signals from God because he will never leave you. Even though you think he's not there, he is. And I wrote a poem and had it published. 20, the poem I told you I wrote oh, 20, yeah. 20 years ago. And this is, what it, this is something that's really one of my messages. It's called eternal love. Endless days, sleepless nights as we go through our constant fights. Do we really get what we see or is it totally up to me? Struggling through our trying times, burdened by the price of crimes. Truly as each day ends, know that God's your only friend. As footprints in the sand did say, he really carries us all the way. Know this, for it is up to you. He already knows what you should do. Find your faith from heaven above, then you will have eternal love. That's so sweet. You could put like a little music with it, and that'd be a great little song. Yeah. That's beautiful. But it says it all right there. It does. I love to put Prince in the Sands and always have. And he carries you through your difficult times when you think you're not he's not there when you're alone he is he's with you that's this, really beautiful thank you this day this world needs God and we, all need, <laughs> we all need to know and love him and have faith faith is the biggest thing and he can help you through any unexpected moment well, thank you, Daisy. It was such a pleasure to have you on the show. I I, I hope all of our listeners don't cry like me. <laughs> Am I your only host that's cried? Okay, good. <laughs> no. 
You're not. You're not. You're probably about the twelfth one. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, it's very easy. <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay. Sometimes I don't cry in them, but most of the time I end up doing it anyways. But I, I just want everybody to know that I didn't write the book out of self-pity. I wrote it to inspire others. Yes. And to create awareness about the MSA. And that if you purchase the book from my link, 10% of all proceeds go to defeat MSA forward slash donate hyphen to hyphen us. So nice. So it's now, it's building up in that platform. Yes. And I'm also selling t shirts that say Fight, hope, cure, MSA. And um, on the back, it's got my, my book cover and unexpected moments and my um, book link. All the proceeds from the t shirt sales go to charity. And then if they buy that, somebody buys, you know, they're advertising the book. So if somebody buys the book, then that way they get proceeds as well. So nice. Um, that link is on my Facebook page. So that helps too. So anything we can do. You can even donate if you don't buy anything. You can donate to that link too. Okay. Well. Okay. Perfect. Well, thank you. I will mention that in my posts as well, everybody. So take a moment and subscribe to our channel. If you already haven't, I get my hand out, click on that bell, click on that subscribe button so you can hear more of our stories. Gosh, wasn't this a doozer, you guys? Um, I thought I would make it to the end without tearing up, and I did not. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> I tried really hard. Um, but it's it's a great story that Daisy has. Um, and I, I don't have words. <laughs> it, it needs to be a movie. You Actually, there's a book trailer that it looks like a preview to a movie. Yeah. And I did have an interview um, a couple of weeks ago with a guy that's in connection with Pure Flix and um, the Chosen executive producer series. And he just made connection with Kendrick Brothers. So it has already been sent to Lionsgate. Um, for them to look at. So maybe there's no telling. We might see it on the screen one day. Maybe. And it's all because of you. Well, thank you so much for having me, Tina, and allowing me to share my story. And it just made it a scratch in the surface on what we talked about today. So there's much, much more to learn about in the book. Yes, there's so much more, I'm sure. Um, it sounds like a, a really great read for anybody that wants to grab it. Um, they can click on that link down below. And if you are thinking about that special someone during the show, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, that you haven't reached out to lately and told them how much you love and care about them, please do. Because, you know, like Daisy says, you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. So. Take your Lucky book is called in the blink of an eye. Yes, absolutely. Things happen in the blink of an eye, whether you're healthy, not healthy, 
go to work tomorrow, come and don't come home. It happens in the blink of an eye. So reach out to that special someone and tell them how much you love and care about them today. Stay tuned for our podcast and our live streams. We have great conversations with some of the most interesting and accomplished people in the world today, just like Daisy here. She has quite the story. I, I don't even know where to start. If someone asked me what was it about, I'd say you have to watch it. <laughs> you really would. Because I don't know, how, the strength that Daisy has had is has been unbelievable. And um, so thank you to all our listeners. Um, we are on all podcast platforms, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and TikTok. You can find us everywhere. And Daisy, I'm sure you know who Carol Burnett is. I end my show with Carol Burnett. I'm so glad we had this time together just to have a laugh or sing a song. Seems we just get started. And before you know it, comes the time we have to say so long. So, so long, everybody. Stay safe. Be kind. Thank you to Daisy Page for coming on our show today. Thank you so very much. Thank you. And expect the unexpected. Thanks for having me, team. You're welcome. Till next time, everybody, stay safe, be kind.